Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. It is good to be here this morning. Thank you guys for being here this morning. We, uh, as a family, just got off of a very long road trip, family vacation up through Washington, D.C. and Hershey, Pennsylvania, creating memories with the kids. It was a wonderful time, but we're happy to be here, home in the house of the Lord this morning with all of you. Um, We are very expectant for what the Lord's going to do at 11 o'clock, but I thank the Lord that he's here already this morning. And uh, I believe he's got a word of encouragement for us this morning. Uh, And so it's a little bit different message than what's going to be preached at the 11 o'clock. But I feel like the Lord really wanted to speak specifically to us this morning in this early service um, about the message while we wait. That's what the title of this message the Lord's given me is while we wait. Um, I also, uh, you know, just in this service, I wanted to, to mention uh, if you haven't heard, I, I wrote a book that just recently came out called Reclaimed, and it's all about the, the reclamation message of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, the parables, everything is God's design that from the beginning, he provided a way for us to be reconciled through Christ back to him. And so if, you, uh, if you've got a prodigal in your life that you're praying for, I highly encourage you to get this book. Um, it's full of scripture and quotes and things to stand on. Uh, it's available on Amazon, but I have, I've got a few copies here with me. If you want one, feel free to grab me after service this morning. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to ask before we get started, how many of you would just be transparent with me this morning? Because we're all family here. How many of you would raise your hand and say that there's somebody in your life, it could be a, a, a relative, son, daughter, brother, sister, spouse, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody in your life that you know is not walking with the Lord the way they should be and that you are praying for them to come home. Just and I'll raise my hand. I'd raise two hands, but I need the microphone. Absolutely. I, I saw hands, everybody I think in here raised their hand. We all have people in our lives that we love and we're praying for and we know that there's more for them but they're just not where they're supposed to be. They're, they're, uh, they're not lost, they're misplaced, right? We see in the parables in Luke chapter 15, there's a sheep that goes astray, it's misplaced, and the good shepherd leaves the 99 to carry back the one. We see the, the, the second parable, the, the woman who loses one of the 10 coins in her collection, And she sweeps the whole house until she finds the misplaced coin. And then lastly, the parable of the what we call the prodigal son. Jesus never called him a prodigal. He said he fell into prodigal living because we're not identified by our sin. We're identified by the name he calls us. But this young man falls into prodigal living and he comes back home. He wasn't 
he wasn't dead physically, but the father says he was dead spiritually. But my son who was dead is now alive. He's back home. He was misplaced. So there are people in our lives that are misplaced. So I want to encourage you this morning, what do you do while you wait? What do you do in prayer while you're praying for that lost loved one? I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, I'm going to read out of the the New King James Version. And just to set the scene here, this is Jesus, and he's communicating to his disciples, and he's using sort of a picture or a, a, a metaphor of what being in Christ is like. What abiding in Christ is like. I mean, abiding is a tricky thing to, dis- to really describe. If I ask you to follow me, all you got to do is walk behind me. But if I say abide in me, it's like, well, what does that even mean? And Jesus realized that was a difficult thing to grasp. So he said this in John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Would you bow your heads and let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place. From the moment we stepped in, I felt you so near, and I thank you, Lord, that you are here this morning to encourage our hearts. I pray that this word would would cause hope to spring up inside of us, God. I pray that you would minister by the utterance of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear your word, hearts to receive it, and let our spirits and our souls be lifted on high as we're encouraged that while we wait, you are doing a marvelous work in those we're praying for. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so Jesus describes this picture of him being the vine. And the Father, God being the vine dresser, or another word for this would be the gardener. And he begins to talk about branches in different states. There are branches that are abiding in him, but they're not producing fruit. There are branches that are abiding in him, and they are producing fruit. Later in verse 6, he'll say, there are branches that aren't in me at all. And, and the thing is, we read through this, and we see this word that kind of tricks us up. These two words, takes away. We see that, and so we read it as, just real quickly, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser, any vine, or any branch that's in me, that's not bearing fruit, I take it away. If you are in me and you're bearing fruit, you get pruned so you can bear more fruit. And if you're not in me at all, you get taken away, basically. But it's not the exact same phrase. And it's actually, the second one is a removal for those branches that are completely dead, completely dried up, and completely severed altogether. But I want us to focus on the first instance here. Because it's not the same as verse 6 does not abide in me versus connected to me but not bearing fruit. Two different things. Jesus begins to describe the branch in him that's not bearing fruit, and he uses this phrase, takes away. And so we picture it as gathering it up, walking away, and separating it. 
But wait a minute. If you've ever done any gardening in your life, you know that if a branch is still connected and there's vitality in that branch, even if it's not producing fruit, the first response is not to cut the branch off and take it away. So if we study the Greek here, takes away this phrase actually means to raise up, to elevate, to lift, to bear, and to carry. I've talked to gardeners before because I, I could kill a plastic houseplant, so I'm not real good at gardening. My dad loves to garden. I did not inherit that gene from him. But if you talk to a gardener, they'll say, if you see a branch that's hanging low and it's not producing any fruit, the first thing you do in order to save the branch is prop it up. And oftentimes, what you'll see a gardener do is they'll take a string or a rope and they'll tie it around that branch and they'll elevate it and anchor it to the main line, the main vine, the, the, the trunk, right? They'll elevate the branch. Now, why is it not producing fruit if it's still connected? There's different reasons for this. One could be that it's in a position that it's not able to receive the light of the sun. Some of our loved ones are in that place. They've been raised in church. They've been preached the gospel. They know who God is. They maybe even served God for a portion of their life, but now they're hanging low in a place where they're not able to receive the light of the sun. So rather than casting them off, our Father, who is a gardener, he actually takes those branches and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them every fighting chance they can to produce fruit. And he takes them away, which means to elevate them. It actually is to take them away unto himself, to draw them up and prop them up in a way that they can receive what they need. Now, another reason why a branch might not produce fruit, even if it's connected, is sometimes the branch looks okay on the outside, but those inner workings of the, the branch, those those veins sort of that carry the nutrients from the main vine, sometimes there's a damage on the inside that you can't see. Sometimes that describes the ones we're praying for. They may try to hold it all together on the outside, but on the inside there's been a damage that can't be seen. And so by adjusting the placement of that branch, it sometimes will open up the parts of the damage inside to allow the nutrients to flow. There's so much to unpack in this metaphor, in this, this, this symbolism that Jesus gave to his followers. But what he wasn't saying is, no fruit equals you're disconnected, get it out of here. And sometimes that's how the churches kind of preach that passage. You're either bearing fruit or you're not. Well, I'd argue with you that I know a lot of people who are in that middle state. They're connected even if it's by a thread. But they're not producing fruit. And what we're supposed to do while we wait is to help prop them up. How do you do that? With your prayers, with your love. Physically, the gardener would draw the branch up to himself we got to pick those people up. we got to hold them close. we got to love on them to the point where they can receive the light of the sun. And that may just be Jesus shining through you. Have you ever heard the old saying, you might be the only Jesus someone sees? 
it's, it's true. And especially when it comes to those, those quick interactions at Walmart where you can either get real angry at a situation that has exhausted your patience or you can show the love of Christ to somebody even when they have frustrated you. You might be the only Jesus they see. Your love and actions towards somebody in the fruit that you produce when you're connected to the vine says more than your words will ever say. There was a, there was a famous uh, preacher who said one time, he said, um, in everything you do, preach Jesus. And when necessary, speak. Right? Your life is a sermon. So how you respond to those, love, those loved ones that are not producing fruit, how you respond to them in your actions, how you respond to them in your tone, how you respond to them in your love, that preaches Jesus to them. Now, I want to be careful in saying you can absolutely love that person and hate the sin that they're in. The Bible makes no bones about that. It says that our sin makes us an enemy of God. It separates us from God. God hates sin. But he sent us Jesus as a way of escape. So you can love that person and not accept their lifestyle, not accept their choices, not accept the decisions, not accept their addictions, but you can still love the person. You can still prop them up. I want to draw your attention to another passage that, that sort of talks about this. The father, he's got a thing for gardens, let me just tell you. He creates the Garden of Eden where life begins, and then the fall of man occurs. And in a garden, Jesus prays and submits to the will of the father. And he's crucified and buried in a garden tomb. I mean, the garden is really a place of encounter. It's a place of restoration. And so I love that, that parable of being a garden. When, when we see fruitless branches, God sees someone in need of the light. But Jesus also demonstrated this. So turn, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. So Jesus teaches that we're supposed to prop people up. Because that's what the Father does. But Jesus also shows us what it means to pull somebody to yourself. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1, it says, When he had come down, this is Jesus, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Let's talk about leprosy for a minute. Because it's not, I mean, we read it a lot in the Bible. But we don't deal in America with leprosy very much. Now, there are very real leper colonies, especially in uh, impoverished countries where there's not access to clean drinking water, where there's animals that carry those diseases. Um, but we're not real familiar with leprosy. In fact, I think if you ask most Americans just from reading the Bible what leprosy is, they'll tell you it's a disease that rots your skin. And that's, you know, that, there's truth in that. It's certainly, it does rot the skin. But actually, leprosy is a nervous system disease. It's a, a neurological disease that begins inside 
in the nervous system. And what happens is, as that disease spreads in your nervous system, it begins to mute all of the receptors that tell your brain to feel pain. And so as it begins to work its way through your system, you literally become numb to pain. Like, they say that lepers can walk over and set their hand on a stove and leave it there and watch their skin start to melt and feel nothing. Because they've been rotting from the inside first. And then as the disease progresses, it begins to deteriorate the external features. And that's when you start to see the skin rotting. But when you see the skin rotting, it's already very progressed in nature. Because it's already done damage to your insides. Oftentimes the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, will use leprosy as a foretype of sin. And I think it's a very accurate picture. Because when you're in sin, the only way to escape the pain is to become numb. And so we look for ways to numb the pain, to numb the guilt, to numb the shame. And what happens is, even though we've found temporary solutions to numb that pain, it doesn't stop the spread of the disease of sin. And eventually, it becomes evident to everyone around us that we're rotting from the inside out, that our life is literally deteriorating and falling apart. And so when you see somebody who's living a lifestyle that you know is not in according to the will of God, when you see somebody bound with addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography, whatever it is, gambling, when you see somebody who is literally so bound by darkness, understand that it started with a disease on the inside that they were trying to numb. And rather than find the healer, they found temporary solutions to allow them to forget about the pain. And so I think it's so accurate that leprosy is used as a foretype of sin. Because I've experienced in my own life. I know many of you probably have too. I mean, the Bible says we're all, we all have sinned, right? But now as saints who are abiding in the vine, producing fruit, it gives us the perspective to recognize leprosy or sin in those around us who we love and then to take compassion on them. The reason why Jesus reached out and grabbed this man to heal him is because he was moved with compassion for him. This word that it says, it says Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Again, if we look just another layer deeper in the Greek for this word touch, it's the Greek word hoptomai. It actually means to adhere to, to cling to. It actually, more accurately, is represented in a very tight hug. You ever been bear hugged by somebody bigger than you and they won't let you go? And, and you just feel like, okay, this is love, but it's kind of suffocating, <laughs> right? You ever been like hugged so tight, you're like, okay, I got to come up for air. That is actually the word in the Greek that it's trying to describe when it says Jesus touched the man. Jesus didn't, hold on, uh, be healed, don't, don't get too close. That's our approach with sin sometimes, right? Sometimes that's our approach with our loved ones. Oh, I can't hang around them too much. What if they rub off on me? It's, it's not about 
them transferring their disease to you. It's about you transferring the love of Christ to them. And so Jesus grabs this man, and he hugs him tightly, the Bible says. And immediately in a hug, he is cleansed from leprosy. Now, the interesting thing, doctors and scholars will tell you in leper colonies in the Bible, biblical era, first century, that lepers would have to be completely isolated from everyone. They had to live in leper colonies. So the only people you could be around is other people who have the same problem as you, which doesn't help you get any better. It just usually allows you to look around and become more depressed at your situation. That's why when people are hanging out with the wrong crowd, they don't ever get better by hanging out with those same bad influences because they just look around at other rotting people and that's all they have to offer each other is disease. So they were isolated in the leper colonies. And when they came in contact with people, they had to stay six feet away at minimum. But doctors tell you that in those days they've studied historical record and that they even had rules that if the wind was blowing a certain direction, you had to stay up to 150 feet away because there was such a fear in those days that the wind blowing off of somebody who had leprosy could carry the disease onto you. Think about that. A disease that they're so scared of that they're afraid the wind is going to transfer it, much less human contact. So this man who comes to Jesus, we don't know how long he's been suffering with leprosy, but we know it's, it's at least visibly evident that he has leprosy, so he's had it for a while. He's likely not felt the touch of another human being in years. I mean, we don't know. It could have been decades before he's even felt the touch of another human, much less a human who loved him, accepted him, and wasn't running scared for their life away from him. Jesus responds to this by not saying, hey, all right, you stay over there, be healed. Could he have done that? Of course. He's God. He, he oftentimes, we see it, he even heals people by sending just his word, not even going physically there and they're healed. Why didn't Jesus do that with the leper? He wanted to demonstrate something. And that is in the midst of someone's lowest point of shame, sometimes what they need to bring healing is a hug. And so Jesus, in their culture, He's actually pretty well respected at this point. He's got multitudes following him. He goes out of his way and grabs a man, and I can't imagine the gasps from the crowd when he did that. I like, if you've ever seen The Chosen, there's a a scene where this leper approaches. It's somewhat based on the depiction in Matthew 8. This leper approaches him on the road, and the disciples, first thing they do is like, Jesus, we got your back. Don't get anywhere near him. Like, we'll take one for the team. Like, get back there. We cannot let you come near this leper, right? Even the disciples were like, we know culturally we can't go near that guy. Jesus grabs him and hugs him, and he demonstrates that that's what we're to do when we have loved ones who are rotting from the inside out with this disease of sin. We don't send a word, oh, uh, we encourage you, love you, don't come near us, you scare us. We hug them. 
We love on them. We prop them up. Jesus says in John 14, 9, he that has seen me has seen the Father. That's his answer to Philip when Philip says, just show us the Father. Jesus, just show us God. Just show us the Father and we'll believe. Jesus said, if you've been watching me long enough, you will have seen how the Father responds to any situation. That means that he had to undo some cultural mindsets. See, the Old Testament provided laws and provisions on how to stay separated from lepers because of cleanliness. Throughout the generations, that became punishment. And it even became, well, this, anybody who has this disease is cursed by God. So much so that that began to reflect on other ailments. Remember uh, the, the child where the disciples said, Jesus, who, who messed up here? Is it his fault or his parents' fault that he's cursed like this? And Jesus said, you, you've missed it. He's in this condition so that he can be healed and the Father can receive the glory. Not everything is a curse from the Lord. So these people would have seen leprosy and said, oh, he's cursed. He's messed up too bad. In fact, I would go as far as to say a lot of them would have said, even the disciples, he deserves what he's got. Because either he or his family or somebody messed up bad enough that, I mean, yeah, he's suffering, but he kind of deserves it. Jesus walks over and hugs the man and then looks at Philip and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How does the Father respond to branches that aren't producing fruit? He props them up and brings them into himself. How does the Father respond to someone who's eaten up from the inside out with sin and numbing the pain is the only way they can find, and they're literally rotting? How does the Father respond in his love? He shows us through Jesus that it's through a hug. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. What do we do when we're praying for those who are eaten up with sin? Hoptomai, the Greek word. Cling to them. Love on them. Jesus hugged a man thought to be cursed by God to show them how the father responds to his hurting children. At the end of the day, no matter what your title is in life, when you stand before God, he sees you as son or daughter. And those that you're praying for, how many of you guys know God doesn't have grandchildren? He doesn't have grandchildren. He, he calls us son and daughter. So when you're praying for that lost loved one, whether they're a coworker, a neighbor, a son, a daughter, a spouse, to God they're a son and a daughter. They're just not home. They're not in the place of encounter that he's designed for them. They're not thriving in the garden that he's created for them. They are not home in the loving, hugging, kissing, full-fledged, all-out embarrassing show of emotion that God wants to pour over each and every one of us like a doting father does. When we're praying for those people, we have to realize that they're his son or they're his daughter. And how he deals with them is that he comes after whatever is separating them from himself. God is a judge. That's in the Bible. God is a judge. 
maybe not a Western courtroom gavel kind of judge per se. But Mike Bickle says that God is a judge in that he comes to judge anything that would separate you from his love. Why is there a judgment of sin? Because it separates us from his love. So God in his mercy comes and says, I've got to come after what's separating you from me. But he doesn't do it by discarding the person. He does it by propping them up and loving on them. A.W. Tozer asked this question. He said, how can God be both just and merciful? Because in our human frailty, we, we usually have to pick between one or the other. How do you serve justice and mercy at the same time? And not compartmentalize the two? That's a tough question to answer. Tozer took a stab at it by quoting that if any of us sin, he is faithful and just or merciful and just to cleanse us of our, to, to free us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, he serves judgment on the sin that separates us, and in mercy, he's faithful to pick us up and cleanse us, to wash us from our sins in his own blood. The only cleaning agent that will work on washing you from scarlet to white is the blood of Christ. And he so willingly gave it because he knew that there would be people in our lives that would need to be propped up to be able to get into his light, to feel his love, to feel his embrace, and to come home where they belong. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you say, man, I'm tired of praying for this person. Every time I pray, it seems like the situation gets worse, not better. Every time I ask the Lord to move, it seems like they head further into darkness. Can I tell you something? I just want to encourage you with this. It may seem like to us they're heading into deeper darkness, but you know there's not really degrees of darkness. Think about it. Darkness is the absence of light. It's either dark or it's not. Well, what about when it's less dark? That's on the degree of the light, not on the degree of darkness. You are in sin or you're not. Right? So if you think, I'm praying for this person and it looks like their lifestyle is getting worse or their sin's getting worse, there's only one degree of darkness. But in God, there is marvelous light. And He pulls us from darkness into His marvelous light. The writer didn't even put an adjective on darkness because it's not worth describing. But He pulls us into marvelous light, the light of His Son. He props us up, heals us from the disease of sin, and cleanses us of of all unrighteousness, by his blood. So this morning, for all of us that raised our hands, what we're called to do is say one more prayer, wake up one more day, make one more phone call, go out to dinner one more time, and then what happens after that? Get up the next day, say one more prayer, make one more phone call, go hug that person one more time, and do that continuously until you see that person come home where they belong because we're all sons and daughters and we all belong in the arms of the Father. Amen? Stand with me this morning.
I'm going to leave you with this. The most important thing you can do as you're propping your loved one up, as you're praying for them, as you're hugging them, as you're, as you're spending time with them and showing them Christ's love and operating in patience, which is the fruit of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Um, one of the most important things you can do as you impro- uh, approach interactions with the person you're praying for is to ask God to allow you to see them like he sees them. I think, you know, sometimes you see somebody's broken and you want to see them whole. And that's, that's our desire, right, is to see them whole. God doesn't even see them whole. He sees them so far beyond that. He sees them thriving and calling and anointing. He doesn't see a drug addict not on drugs. He sees a drug addict become a pastor. He sees a, he sees a prostitute become a, a, a person who opens a women's shelter. He sees, uh, he sees a person who's struggling and feeling isolated as leading a Bible study. You see what I'm saying? He doesn't just see broken and wholeness. He sees so far beyond wholeness. So when you're looking at your, your lost child, don't see a child that's whole. See a youth pastor. See a person worshiping. See a, see a leader. See a, an anointed man or woman of God. That's how God sees them. So when you're praying for them and you're interacting with them, just real quick before you go to meet them, say, God, when I'm looking at them, don't let me see their sin or their leprosy. Don't let me see their fruitlessness. Let me see them thriving like you see them so that my heart is positioned to love them like you love them. Amen? Let's pray real quick this morning. God, I thank you for this, this word. I pray that it's encouraged our hearts to stand strong and persistent faith that we're going to see those lost loved ones of ours. Those are misplaced. We're going to see them come home. God, I pray that you would encourage these saints as they stand in agreement, as they stand in prayer, as they stand in love. And I pray that you would help them. Give them the lens to see their loved one like you see them. Help us to love those that are misplaced like you love them, God. Help us to draw them up to us, to prop them up anchored on you, the true vine, and let them receive the light of the sun. God, I pray that you would restore brokenness, heal numbness and pain. God, move on these these loved ones who are in addiction, who are in a bondage, who are broken, who are who are just manipulated. God, I pray that the veil would be torn off of their life that is separating them from your presence, that the scales would fall off of their eyes, and that they would be brought into the full redemption and reconciliation that Christ paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection. God, allow us to be encouraged as we stand on your word and to prop those up in our lives that we love until we celebrate with them on the day that they return home to your loving arms. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise because only you deserve it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much and continue to pray for us at the 11 o'clock. We love you guys and let's get ready for Sunday school. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.